0: The talk this morning is titled, Pondering in the Night. Um, and if it is not clear yet, by night, I mean times of trial and times of difficulties. And uh, for, for, for a few of us, probably life, the entire life seems like one long night. Uh, is that relatable? So whenever, whenever I mention the word night, that's the meaning I'm attributing to the word. Right, and um, a true test of a man's mettle and character is not how he handles his success and good times, uh, but rather how he handles his failures and seasons of hopelessness and difficulties. Does that make sense? Uh, Helen Keller actually said this: she said, Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet, only through experience of trial and suffering. Can the soul be strengthened, vision cleared, ambition inspired, and success achieved? And uh, let's be honest, this is how the world judges you, right? Based on how you handle pressure. For example, take your job interviews. Um, there are these pressure tests uh, where they ask you these crazy questions and see how you handle pressure. Um, and are appraisals at work... Uh, they are based on how we've uh, handled pressure throughout the year and and most of it is is like that. People judge you, they see if you're capable or not based on how you handle pressure. And uh, living in the city of Bombay itself is one entire pressure test. Uh, what do I mean? Many people come here, they, they see it's so fast, it's so crazy and they crumble under this pressure. More often than not, we are facing difficulties at work, uh, crazy work, long hours, uh, crazy travels to work, uh, and this all affects situations at home, so home is now turned into a hell. uh, And just mere existing in this city is one entire huge pressure test. And if you experience this, uh, and this is true of you, I'm sure the talk this morning is relevant to you. The passage uh, this morning is actually a song. Um, it is written by probably one of the greatest uh, singer-songwriters of all time, uh, King David. And it is from the book of Psalms in the Bible. Uh, this, is, this is the part of the Bible which is before Jesus. Uh, the, the context is David is in a very crucial phase in his life. Um, and everything around him is turning against him. Uh, According to some of the Bible commentators, uh, the most probable context of this story, the background story to this song, is uh, when Saul, who was the king of Israel, uh, David's country then, was trying to kill David, who was anointed as the next king. Pure jealousy. David ran away to the woods, the hills and the fields, and he tried hiding from Saul. There were 400 men with David. Saul had three thousand soldiers. One night, Saul and his men were, uh, they were sleeping. David came near him in the night, didn't kill him, just cut a piece off his robe and, and left Saul to live. In the morning, David told Saul, it was easy to kill you, but I did not. What have I done wrong? What have I done wrong? You sent me away from my own country. You told me to go find other gods. Why? Don't we all go through this uh, when, when, we, when we feel what is happening to us is just unfair? Why me? What have I done to you? It is probably at this time David wrote Psalm 16. Let's just go through the Psalm uh, this morning. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. That's the passage for us. Allow me to just pray before we start. Jesus, thank you for refreshing us in this time of worship. Um, you know the, the seasons of night that each of us are in um, and this morning we believe that you are going to fill our hearts with hope and contentment. Uh, would you meet each of us at our points of need? You know us better than we do. Uh, would you speak through me Lord Jesus? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's pretty clear that David is going to probably the worst time of his life. Uh, his life was at risk the very king of the country was trying to chase him down and kill him but if you noticed the tone in the uh, the psalm is not that of despair and hopelessness it is that of contentment hope and confidence that's crazy how does he do that Um, let's let's look at this he just presents one request and petition he says Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. That's how it starts. And now we'll go into the talk. This is how the framework lies. We're going to divide this psalm and see how he is dealing. What is he pondering upon in the night? The first thing is awareness in the night. The second thing is the assurance in the night. The third thing is the anthem in the night. Allow me to just go into the first awareness in the night let's let's look at a few things david is now becoming aware of the first thing he says i say to the lord you are my lord i know david is saying this to the lord but essentially he's speaking this over his own soul does the lord not know that he is david's lord when we uh, think about this when we sing in times of worship we say lord you're beautiful you're this Does it make God be like, oh, now that he's telling me I'm beautiful, I'm beautiful. No, we're singing this over our own lives, over our own souls. And there's a healing balm to this. I don't know how many of us during times of trial, just just break down and say, Lord, you are God. You are my God. There is value in speaking over our own souls. And and this morning, uh, what we did during worship time, week after week, singing these lyrics, which are probably familiar to us. We know these lyrics day in and day out. But there's a sense of refreshing every time we sing it and proclaim it over our lives. That's the first thing he's doing. The second thing he says, apart from you, I have no good thing. He's recognizing in this trial, that apart from God, there's absolutely no good thing in his life. How does this play out? Usually when we're going through trials, I don't know if you relate to me, it is easy to play the victim at all times. David had every reason. He was being treated unfairly. He could have said, God, I am am such a good person. Why are they treating me like this? But instead, he says, apart from you, there is nothing good in me underneath the mentality of uh, underneath the victim mentality is this belief the belief is i am basically good i am a good person and i am being wronged that's the belief david is breaking that belief he's shifting from saying oh i have been wronged to saying how have i uh, How am I wrong in this situation? Because there is no good in me apart from God. It is very important to come to that realization. The third thing he says is, I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in in whom is all my delight. The role of community. David delighted in the people of God despite all their failings, despite all their sinfulness. Uh, uh, A theologian puts it this way. Um, His name is Boyce. He says, This is a practical matter, for it is a way by which we can measure our relationship to the Lord. Do you love other Christians? Do you find it good and rewarding for it to be with them? Do you seek their company? This is a simple test. Those who love the Lord will also love the company of those who love him. How many Manchester United fans today? I'm not personally one. But if there's one thing I know, Manchester United fans are crazy loyal. And they enjoy just being Manchester fans and, and these fan clubs. What is it that brings Manchester United fans together? Is it their mutual liking towards each other? Is it, oh, I like you, so let's just be part of this club. Despite the differences, whether they like it or not, they come together and say Manchester United. What is that glory, glory, Man United? Is that what they say? What brings them together is not their mutual love for each other, but their love for Manchester United. In the same way, as a community of God, what brings us together, yes, A love for each other is there, but superseding all of that is our love for God. If I love God, I will also love his people. And especially in times of trial, role of community is very, very crucial. The third thing, the fourth thing he says is, those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. Being a follower of God of the Bible, it is clearly costing David a lot. Uh, He's... He's really running after his life because he's following the promise of God. He knows that he will become king. So he's, he's, uh, instead of trying to kill him that night and become the king, he, re- he, he, uh, he stayed away from that temptation and still was choosing to suffer. It, it, it is quite a cost. And being a follower of Jesus, I don't know if you've already realized it, it's quite a cost. This morning... During times of trial, the biggest temptation is to put our trust in something else. For me, especially if I'm going through a a tough time financially, the first thing I do is open up my SBI app, look at my balance and do my financial calculations. If it, is, if, it is, uh, if it is a problem, if it is a, a tough time, uh, relationally with someone, I try to do all stupid quick fixes to fix that and ignore the hard problem. And, and I, tr- I try to be the, uh, the solution, I, I jump onto the solution in my effort, the first thing when the problem presents itself. I put my trust in everything else, instead of just crying to God and saying, God, you are God. I'm willing to put my trust only in you. After growing in the awareness of all of this, David moves on to an assurance in the night. What is this assurance? He says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. The place he is in, God is definitely his only portion and cup. He has no one to rely upon, no one to run to, but God. Have we come to that place? Have we been in that place before? There's absolutely nothing working out for us. Absolutely nothing. You're desperately in need of it, and you're saying, God, this is your moment. Please please show up. David is saying, you alone are my portion and my cup. And it is strange to see that uh, in somer, is so much danger as being a fugitive, just he's just running around. David is actually thinking about his inheritance. He's saying it's delightful he's definitely looking to God and he's delighting in him. I mean, being the last son in the family in those days, he he wouldn't have much inheritance. It it went to the first son. And whatever little he had, Saul Saul chased him him out of the country. So whatever little he had, everything is gone. But now he's saying, I have an inheritance and it is delightful. The mark of real faith in Jesus is, is not the joy in the morning, but the contentment in the night. That's the mark of real faith in Jesus. The famous uh, Stephen Hawking, uh, who was uh, an uh, astrophysicist at the Cambridge University, perhaps uh, the most intelligent man on earth, Uh, he advanced the general theory of relativity, uh, post-Einstein, he did the most in it. Unfortunately, uh, uh, Hawking suffered with the ALS syndrome. It eventually took his life recently as we know it. But his life on earth had been, com- uh, had been confined to that wheelchair. I don't know if you've seen that wheelchair. He could barely move. Hawking lost all ability to even speak. And, and he communicated with a speech synthesizer through that computer you see. Quoting an article from the Omni Uh, magazine, he said he he was too weak to write, feed himself, comb his hair, fix his glasses and all of this must be done for him. Yet, this most dependent of all men has escaped the invalid status. His personality shines through the messy details of his existence. Hawking said that before he became ill, he had very little interest in life. He called it a pointless existence, resulting in sheer boredom. He would get drunk uh, and and he would do very little work. Then he realized that he had the ALS syndrome. Yes, initially it, it it gutted him, but he says eventually it actually worked out for his good. How could it be? Hawking provides the answer. He says... When one's expectations are reduced to zero, he said, one really appreciates everything that one does have. Uh, Stated another way, contentment in life is determined in part by what a person anticipates from it. To a man like Hawking, he he was soon going to die quickly and uh, any little thing brought him great joy. A sunrise in the morning just to see kids play, birds chirping, anything he was beginning to appreciate and value. By contrast, those who believe that life owes them a free ride are often discontent with their lives. Sadly, this prolific physicist failed to grasp and believe in the eternal contentment we have in Jesus beyond the grave. But from what he said, this one point becomes clear to me. God often allows seasons of trials to remind us, to remind us of the eternal contentment we have in Christ, which is unaffected by our earthly situations. This is a mere reminder. In Christ, we have the assurance of eternal contentment even in the night. And how do we know that David was content? How do we know this? From verses he says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. That very night, when he had the chance to finish this guy off, kill him, he was anyway anointed to be the next king. So there was no one stopping him to be the next king. He refused to end that battle, kill him and go on to become the next king. Becoming guilty of bloodshed. Instead, he waited. You know what the fact is? David did not wait for contentment to come when he was going to become a king. He was content even during his trials. That kept him away from killing Saul. As followers of Jesus, the true test of our faith is not Not the joy in the morning, but the contentment in the night. In the view of all of this, David now raises an anthem in the night. You'll see what he says. He says, therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will rest secure. He started off with saying, preserve me, Lord. Now look at this confidence. Therefore, my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, my body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. What started off as a feeble petition has now turned into an anthem of praise. But if we actually look at the facts of this anthem, let's 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 look at dib- uh, a deeper. Uh, let's have a deeper look. He says, "Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay." The fact is, King David died; his body was buried, and did see decay. Did God fail David? Or did David have a hope that was a lie? Let's allow the Bible itself to interpret this anthem for us. In Acts chapter 2, the portion of the Bible after Jesus rose and went up to heaven, uh, Peter, uh, an amazing follower of Jesus and the leader of the church then, was actually quoting this very psalm. He says, David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your faithful Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. This very psalm he quotes and then he says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that our patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and he knew that God promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, Jesus, that, was, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. What David was merely doing in this anthem was looking beyond himself to Jesus. And he was looking at what Jesus was going to do through his death and resurrection. The good news. The gospel of Jesus is our anthem in the night. The good news of his death and his resurrection is our anthem in the night. And that's the truth. It is not our good resolve. It is not our good intentions. It is not rise, us rising up and saying, it's, it's, it's not that. It is the good news of what Jesus did. Period. I'll be very honest with you now. Sometimes when I read David's Psalms, you know, when he writes amazing stuff like this, I will not fail. My hope is only in you, God. My faith is this and that, this and that. I often get disheartened. I'm like, dude, I am so far off. When I experience stuff like this, this is not my response. But let's actually take a look at David's life. Let's, let's zoom out of this psalm and put his entire life in perspective. Was David perfect? No. If we know that he, he did something cringe worthy, like uh, just falling in love uh, with the wife of another woman, uh, another man, uh, killing the man to, to get this woman. And he had a pretty messed up family. Very dysfunctional. David pinned his hope not on his righteousness but on the righteousness of Jesus who would be king forever. Friends, this morning this is the hope. David didn't live out the psalm perfectly. In fact, Jesus did. When he stepped onto this earth, he he lived as if his father alone was his portion and his cup, like David said. He always set his eyes on his father and was never shaken. Jesus lived that psalm out perfectly. And he is the faithful one who never saw decay. Now here's the thing. After doing all of this, Jesus walked through the ultimate night of God's holy, furious wrath because of our sins. After living that perfect life, he gave that track record to you and I so that we don't have to walk that night where Jesus walked. And trust me, if we would have walked that night, we would have never come out of that night. This morning, there is hope in Jesus and in his righteousness. There is hope beyond the grave because Jesus walked through that ultimate night of God's wrath on our behalf. The gospel of Jesus is our anthem in the night. We can stay in the night content knowing that hope is already born. It is a reality. Just as David wrote this in anticipation of what he knew was coming but he didn't yet see, we can also rise uh, raise an anthem of in anticipation of what we know is coming. One day, Jesus is going to come and the Bible says, uh, there's not going to be night anymore. He is the light that will dispel all darkness. There will be no sun, no moon. He will be the source of light. Absolutely no darkness, no night. It will only be joy and joy and joy forevermore friends this morning we can be hopeful in our night and be content in the night knowing for a fact just like david knew that jesus was coming we also know that jesus is coming allow me to share one story to bring this all to a close and just push this little deeper in our hearts how does this practically look in our lives in 1899, uh, Horatio G. Spafford was one of uh, Chicago's most successful lawyers and businessmen. Uh, through his years, his investments in real estate had really paid him off handsomely well. In, in 1871, Mr. Spafford wrote to some of his friends and he said, I'm sitting on top of the world. He had a loving wife, he had four beautiful daughters, a profitable business empire and a successful law practice. Who would have thought that the action of one farm animal could change all of that. On the night of Mrs. O'Leary's cow, she kicked a lantern in the barn and that triggered what we know as the Great Chicago Fire. In that one night, all Spafford-owned burned into ashes. He told his friends that all he had left of his business empire was his university diploma. Although Spafford was devastated by all of this, most affected was his wife. So to, to, to give them a break from all of this, he planned an extended family vacation to Europe. And just prior to their uh, schedule of departure, Spafford gets an urgent business query and he, he says, you guys go ahead, I will take the next boat out, next ship out and come. Somehow in the middle of the ocean, the Villa Have, the ship on which Mrs. Spafford's family was going, uh, collided with another British ship, both going at full speed. And in 12 minutes, 226 people lost their lives. Seven days after the incident, the survivors, uh, they landed at Cardiff and Mr. Spafford received a two-word telegram from his wife saying, saved alone. Spafford booked his first ship bound for England and as he was sitting on the deck, the ship's captain approached him and said, Mr. Spafford, we are now passing the area where your daughters now rest. Instead of being grief-stricken, as any normal person would be, Spafford said that peace came over him. As he remembered the, f- the words of his friend D.L. Moody, the famous preacher we know. He said, one of these days you're going to read that D.L. Moody of the East Northfield is dead. Don't believe a word of that. I'll be more alive then than I'll be alive now. Spafford said that he felt the girl's spirit around him. Rather than cry, he smiled, rushing to his cap. And Spafford picked up a paper and pen, jotted these words down, which said When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows, like sea billows, roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. We know that this song is a beautiful hymn right now. It was birthed out of that incident. What am, I, what am I trying to say? Allow me to talk to those of us who are exploring Jesus, not yet followers of Jesus. Probably our lives seem like one long night. Probably lack of any uh, kind of clarity on what, what am I supposed to do? A loss of a loved one. Just being depressed. A lack of deep satisfaction from anything we have in life. Life probably seems like one long night. And these trials are unexplainable. We can't explain out of it. Why me? Why me? Allow me to present the unexplainable hope that Jesus presents to us this morning. He says there's eternal hope for you the night will come to an end because I walked through the ultimate night of God's holy wrath. I died so that you can be saved forever. I know that this hope is what our hearts long for. And, th- and, and today, if, if this is the cry of your heart, in a few moments, we'll walk to this table to raise an anthem together. The anthem, which is the gospel of Christ. You are free to join if you think I'm willing to put my hope in Jesus. He died for me, He rose so that I can rise. Death is not the end for me. Followers of Jesus, what are we taking back from you? Are we busy feeling like victims in the night? Why me? Why me? Are we secluding ourselves from community, or drawing closer and finding, uh, or from drawing closer and finding delight in them? Are we trying to give up on Jesus, though probably not in our mind, through our actions and put our trust in other tangible things that we can control? Are we forgetting the eternal contentment that we have because of what Jesus did? us that is unaffected by our earthly situations are we sulking and wallowing in self-pity instead of raising an anthem in the night